WBZ original. You gotta hear this. It's this poor gal from Des Moines Register was on her cell phone. We tried her on Skype. That didn't work. So then we thought the cell would work, but it, you know. Ooh, it's like a, it's like a tech song. Yeah, wow. She, she was. So you should open the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Studio BZ, Season 3, Episode 2. I'm Paula Eben. Episode 2? Wait a minute. Episode 2 of Season 3. Season 3 began thought, in the new year. I thought this was Episode 3. Wait. Would it be? No, because last no, week was episode our first. Two. It's Episode 2. Episode two. <laughs> it's Season 3. Last week was, was the first of the year. It was. Yes. Yeah, John had too yes. much to drink yeah. on the holiday this? break. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm John Keller. Good to be with you, Paula. And I am Leah Martin in episode two. In episode two. Here we are on this week's show. Kevin Spacey on trial on Nantucket. WBZ reporter Louisa Moeller was on island, as people on Nantucket like to say, uh, for the arraignment at the courthouse. And so we talked to her about the nuts and bolts of what took place on Monday. And then uh, Elizabeth Warren, our senator, out in Iowa for her first campaign swing out there, uh, conspicuously failing, except for one occasion, to mention President Trump. In the meantime, our newly elected member of Congress from Massachusetts, Ayanna Presley, did mention the president by name in one of her first speeches on the floor of the House, and she got in trouble for it. We'll tell you all about how that went down and talk a little bit about the whole etiquette of political attacks or whether or not there is any etiquette anymore. And then... We'll talk about what's about to happen in the lives of MBTA users. First, the governor in his inaugural address, then the new head of the T. Steve Poftak in remarks the other day, warning riders that part of the process of bringing online new cars and fixing the system once and for all are going to be some major major disruptions. How much patience do T-Riders still have left in the tank? Oh, God. Not almost, much. Almost none. Yeah, I would, I would say, say none, none, none. So that's our show for this week. All right. Glad you could join us here on Studio BZ. Kevin Spacey pushed his way through a wall of media as reporters peppered him with questions. But this packed Nantucket courtroom grew quiet when he walked in. Spacey shared some nods and a grin with his attorney, only briefly glancing at the crowd that gathered to watch. Actor Kevin Spacey arraigned Monday on Nantucket for a sexual assault charge dating back to 2016. The allegation being that uh, he put his hands down the pants of a then 18-year-old man at the club car bar and restaurant on Nantucket. He is now charged with sexual assault. He appeared, pleaded not guilty, was released on personal recognizance. Our reporter, Louisa Moeller, was on Nantucket for this arraignment. We're bringing her in for the podcast mm-hmm. just Hi, to everyone. ask her. Hey, nice to have you in here. Thanks for good having me. Here. I appreciate it. Back from Nantucket, gratefully. Just got off the ferry. Feeling and, good. And tell us what happened yesterday. Just walk us through this arraignment. Sure. So firstly, the arraignment is sort of the f- defendant's formal introduction to the justice system, right? You are charged and then you are arraigned. And then whatever happens after that, you can, you know, the defense and the prosecution will argue the case and so on and so forth. But you have to have an arraignment before. And Kevin Spacey did not want to appear at this arraignment. He, in fact, filed a motion to not have to appear. What happened with that? Uh, So the judge basically denied the motion, said that you have to appear at your arraignment, which I believe 
is across the board. That's for every defendant in the Commonwealth. They mm-hmm. have to appear yes. for their arraignment. Um, so, but the arraignment, as I said, it's sort of just a formal proceeding. It lasts literally five minutes. So Kevin Spacey arrived. He checked in with probation. He walked into the second floor courtroom. He was read his charge under his official name, which is Kevin S. Fowler. Mm -hmm. And um, the judge asked the prosecution if they wanted any conditions of his release. They said they were not going to set a bail. They said they wanted no contact between Spacey and his accuser and his family. Um, And that was really it. They said it the next date. The big news headline out of the arraignment was that we learned the defense filed a motion to preserve two and a half years of text messages and other uh, digital content between the accuser and his then girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, The prosecution fought that. They said this is a fishing expedition. The defense said we need to save this data because we think that the accuser had conversations that would, in these text messages that would, you know, lead to whether or not he actually thought he was being assaulted right. at the time. It's going to be germane to the whole argument and the defense if he was laughing and joking. There was this Snapchat video, right, that was going on back and forth between he and his girlfriend, allegedly. Yeah, so it and- seems like the prime piece of evidence for the prosecution. Let me, let me, first, let me explain what the prosecution is arguing happened to the victim. So the victim is apparently at the club car. He is July of 2016. July of 2016. He is a busboy. He gets off his shift, at which point police are saying that Spacey and the accuser are hanging out and Spacey is buying him copious drinks. The accuser at the time was going along with this. He's a starstruck young man. I'm sorry, back up one second. He was a busboy there at the club car? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, he, and was he finished his shift. Finished right. his shift. Drinking age is twenty-one. Because a lot of people state. drinking, drinking age, age is twenty-one, and you see a lot of people reacting to the story as if he used a fake ID to get into this. He was in this place because he was working. And it's there. important to point out he told Kevin Spacey, according to the criminal complaint, that he was twenty-three. Exactly. exactly. Okay. Go so on. anyway, hanging out with Spacey, apparently uh, claiming to have a good time. He was starstruck. He wanted to get. Um, he wanted to get an autograph. He's sitting at the piano. They're singing together. And at some point, according to the prosecution, it just goes too far. Spacey gropes the young man, puts his hands down his pants for what we're told was three minutes, Mm -hmm. at which point the accuser took Snapchat videos of parts of the alleged assault and sent them to his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. So the key piece of evidence that I can see that the prosecution has is a couple of second clip off of Snapchat, which, according to court documents, simply shows Spacey's hand in the area of the mm-hmm. accuser's torso. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily touching any him. evidence of whether or not there was consent. Exactly. Right. And that's, mean, that's, a, that's the big question, That's right? another big part of this is that even the alleged victim admits that he never told Spacey to stop. Mm-hmm. Um so we can all argue about whether or not he was stunned or drunk or what. Huh. What was Spacey's demeanor like? So I was actually telling Paul and Liam, it was almost as if he was playing a part. He walked in and he had a very, it wasn't a grin, it was a straight face. He didn't speak at all. 
he, I think he murmured excuse me once, but he did not say another word that we could hear. What was the judge's demeanor like? My personal opinion, I thought Judge Thomas Barrett was extremely fair and just very mild-mannered and and even-keeled, yeah. especially considering the frenzy. He, did, he certainly wasn't trying to play up the hearing, but he was also understanding the big, you know, right. hoopla around it. Right. And talk about the frenzy because you said the scrum was really something outside and there were international media there. Yes. I mean, so the anticipation um, for Spacey's arrival was out of this world. I've, I've never seen, I've personally never seen anything like this for a court, such a short court appearance. He, we all knew he was going to fly in. That was the theory. So everyone, international media, I saw a crew from Australia, a crew from from um, the UK, is on their phones and we're on flight tracker. We're trying to figure out when's this flight going to He's an Oscar in. winner. And then he lands. And then we, we're saying, okay, he's going to be in a silver livery car. There are three entrances to the court. There's media staged at every court, uh, at every door. And he finally arrives, and it was crazy with the the one reporter who got the closest to him was the reporter from Australia TV who was about five inches from his face. Mm. But um, major kudos to Nantucket Police and the State Police because they did a phenomenal job. Now, to the extent that you were able to interact with uh, Islanders, Gawkers, or maybe just people who worked at the courthouse. Hmm. What's their reaction to all of this? I, I think they were. I think they were kind of enjoying the the off season. It is yeah. January. Yeah, no, the, the, the off season excitement. Yeah, my So full disclosure, my grandparents are Islanders. I was oh. staying with them. Oh. They're 89 and 90 years old, and this is the biggest thing that's happened in 64 and what's years. What's their take <laughs> on the case? Um, I think it makes them. Well, they are. Everybody knows the club car gets a little rowdy in the summer. There's this understanding that the summer, summer Nantucket and winter Nantucket are two totally Very different, different things. Yeah. Um, Let's dig in a little bit more on this defense filing yeah. because I think it's interesting from the standpoint of the strategy for the defense. They're trying to preserve these communications, which obviously means they believe there might be some communication from this young man to his girlfriend, suggesting that he was not traumatized by this, that he was joking about it, um, and they also at one point bring up the accuser's mother in the filing saying the boy did not seem to be affected by this and then at some point his mother they say pushed the narrative can what's the language from the filing there the the exact language from the filing is that the accuser joked about the incident with friends for months and that quote his mother is the driving force behind these allegations now let's remember the the alleged incident happened in 2016. It did not come to light until a 2017 news conference, which was held by the accuser's mother. And that's, of course, long. About nine and months here later, we should, right? Right. About, about uh, that. About, we should say, just because uh, she at one time was one of our competitors, it's just sort of a sad part of the story that we all have to address for people in this market who will see this case differently than people around the country. Heather Unruh was a... A large figure in Boston media mm-hmm. for years and years, a main anchor at WCVB Channel 5. This is her son, which she announced herself on Twitter when she initially began tweeting about Kevin Spacey, uh, sort of cryptically at first saying the dominoes will fall mm-hmm. when when the sort of Me Too movement got underway in the fall of last year. So this is a very sad component 
of this story for people locally that someone who was very well known, a public figure here, it's, it's just a very sad situation for her college age son and the whole family to yeah. find themselves in. So what happens next in the legal process, Louisa? Well, it's it's all about discovery, right? So the, the prosecution and the defense will continue to investigate, if you will, on both sides. And um, So, excuse me, we interrupted you before you finished talking about their request for two and a half years of texts. That wound up getting cut down, but they are going to get some, right? The judge has... Uh, proved six months of preservation. Now, that actually doesn't mean that the defense gets those texts. It just means that the accuser and his then-girlfriend cannot destroy those texts because that would be, yeah, that would be in violation of the court. Right. And so the notification would probably go to their cell phone carrier, right? Yep. Any explanation for why they cut it down to six months? I I mean, it would seem that that would just be a fair amount of time. I, um, Judge Barrett acknowledged that he actually had not read deeply into this case, okay. that he had simply read the defense filing, which was filed yesterday morning. Um, so he, he thought that a reasonable amount of time would be six months. Now, uh, we won't be seeing uh, Mr. Fowler, a.k.a. Kevin Spacey, uh, back in that courtroom. Anytime soon. Which is, the next no. hearing's March. If March 4th, yep. Right. Um, and... He does not have to appear. He does not have to appear. The judge ruled he does not have to appear. Um, Yeah. So it is it remains to be seen what's going to happen here. Just reading through the court documents, there is no physical evidence as far as I can see besides the Snapchat video. No eyewitnesses. There have no eyewitnesses have come forward to the. We should say Heather Unruh on Twitter has pleaded to people. Apparently, there was a woman, mm-hmm. according to her son, there in the club car who approached the son and said, you should leave after seeing what had been going on. Spacey had gone to the bathroom. Exactly. And that woman has, no, that person has it's never, never served right. She was described as a blonde woman themselves. in her 40s. And the actual physical assault allegedly occurred not in the restaurant, but in the alleyway. Is that correct? Or no, did in I the physical it? restaurant. Yes, right. the sitting at the piano. You have to imagine okay. the club car. It's I've actually been the size of this room. It's the size of this room, and in the sun, on a July night, it is packed. Okay. I mean, we're talking shoulder to shoulder. I take it the drinks are free? Or? They are what's, not what's free. The appeal? They are Nantucket prices. <laughs> what, what it's is, a dive bar that is actually um, uh, a club car. An antique train car. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And it, uh, celebrities are known mm. to frequent it, which has given it sort of this yeah. allure. So to put it in language I, someone of my age might understand, it's where the Hepcats go. <laughs> it's where the Hepcats go. Yeah. It, it, it was, yes. uh, people might remember in that old TV show about Nantucket, Wings. It was in one of the opening shots. Really? The club mm-hmm. car. It's always been there. I, that club car must have been transferred there at some point at the turn of the century or I something. I wish Someone I knew the history of the club car, but it's there, been there uh, as long as I can remember. Louisa, what, knowing now that you have this connection with the island through your family, what, if anything, can you tell us about the context of, you know, a summer night in a popular bar in Nantucket, what the atmosphere might be like? Is there, are there a lot of younger people oh, mixing it up 100, with celebs? I would, I would, Nantucket is known, I would say, for younger people, certainly of some means, mm. who I could certainly see being extremely excited to interact with someone the likes of Kevin Spacey. I could certainly understand someone being starstruck to see someone like that. And yes, the environment is, you know, it's party time. It's party time. It's a hot summer night. 
Yeah. Right? There yeah. Yeah. July on Nantucket. Another huh. thing I have to say, Liam and I were talking to Boston defense attorney Phil Tracy last night who came in to do some legal analysis for us on WBC News at 8, and he was saying that uh, like so many women over the decades who have come forward in rape cases or other cases, this young man is about to have his world really turned upside down. And you oh, do, yeah. I, this is something that is really, I will, has really struck me. No matter what you think about the case and the evidence, what makes me sad is that this is a young man in college right now. And I'm sure when you're in college, you want to think about college and maybe your classes and maybe your parties and you want to have a simple life. And that's going to be pretty difficult right now. The defense, given the means that Kevin Spacey has, are going to look into every aspect of his life. But it does sound, Louisa, based on your reporting, that the circumstances are in place for justice to be done here. Good, solid judge, not grandstanding, uh, court proceedings going exactly as they should go yeah. so far. With and, a murky case. Yeah. yeah. And and if, if this gets to trial, I think we might all be a little surprised. But if it does, at least in the Commonwealth, we've shown generally that we can, you know, produce pretty even-keeled fair jury pools. I mean, just look at the Aaron Hernandez media circus. Did anybody talk? Prosecutors, defense lawyers, DA? Outside of court? Nope. They were tight-lipped. Interesting. Um, And we did speak with uh, Spacey has uh, two... He has two people on his defense team, a high-profile L.A. attorney by the name of Alan Jackson, and then um, a local woman by the name of Julianne Barillo. And oh, yeah. I may be mis- mispronouncing Baliro. her last name. Thank you. Thank you. Daughter of famous trial lawyer Joe Baliro. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she was— And in her own right, a distinguished uh, a, a defense lawyer. Yes. And indeed, she—but she was, uh, you know, quite blunt and yeah. told us, N-O. Mm-hmm. No, no chatting outside of— the court. So he said, excuse me on the way in, pleaded, and then he was gone. He was off in, in his In about less, less than two and a half, three Taking hours. Taking Frank Underwood with him. That's mm-hmm. right. Wow. Our city is truly the hub. The hub of the universe. The universe. Elizabeth Warren was in Iowa this weekend just after she was sworn in (laughs) to another term as the senator from Massachusetts. John, apparently she had long lines. Uh, The Des Moines Register CNN poll from December says she has a 65 percent favorability rating among caucus goers in Iowa. So it seemed like a pretty good weekend for her out there. Democratic caucus goers. Right, among the caucus goers. When you want to have, John, you would know better than I on this. When you want to have better than 65 percent in your own party? I don't know. Year out is not bad. That's better than most of the people that'll be in that field in terms of name recognition, let alone favorability. But uh, yeah, I suppose it could be a little bit better. But look, uh, keep in mind, Iowa caucus, Democratic caucus goers tend to be a real activist, left-leaning group. When you consider Bernie Sanders nearly knocked out Hillary Clinton uh, a little over two years ago now, uh, back in 08, Barack Obama upset the apple cart there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and there's a tradition in Iowa of economic populism. Think uh, Tom Harkin, the longtime senator uh, uh, from there. So it should be fertile ground for Liz Warren. She turned out good crowds and I guess acquitted herself fairly well. But Paula, you were pointing out when we were talking before there was one notable thing that Warren didn't do. She doesn't mention Donald Trump by name. 
Which is very interesting. Uh, Ocasio-Cortez doesn't either, generally. She sticks to her message of corruption in Washington, corruption in the system, worrying about the middle class, working families, student loan debt. Uh, she seems to have really taken in all of the mistakes that Hillary Clinton made during her campaign. There's a great piece uh, by Karen Tumulty in the Washington Post today that says this is what Liz Warren has that Hillary Clinton didn't. Uh, she doesn't seem to have that fear of coming right back at opponents and not making it all about but, Donald Trump, but what her ideas are. Well, but, but okay, fine. But still, why, I believe only one mention during a three-day swing of the mm-hmm. president by name. Why so hands-off on that? Well, don't you think that, that Democrats clearly got the message that they needed more message discipline and that you can't make it all about he's bad, he's awful, we've got to get rid of him. You better come to the party with your own ideas. Bernie Sanders really taught them that from within. This is a new thing from Warren, it seems to me. Her launch video was four and a half minutes. She did not mention the president. Before that, she was known as the attack person of the Democratic Party who was always confronting him and confronting him by name. It seems to me there must have been some research done by her early campaign here that said, don't harp so much on that in the primary season. Focus on your economic message because that's what you're known for and that's what's going to resonate with people right now. Well, and if electability is going to be a factor, and and Paula and I earlier were talking with uh, uh, a a veteran political reporter out in Iowa who says that uh, a a solid majority of Democrats are telling their pollster, yeah, electability, who can be Trump, is foremost in my mind. If you're Perhaps one element of electability is, can you, in November of 2020, um, be a safe, comfortable choice for people who did vote for Donald Trump last time? Some of them, of course, are never going to vote for a Democrat if you held a, held a gun to their head. But uh, there may be a number of them fed up with Donald Trump, but still kind of embarrassed or at least don't want to be ridiculed. Right. Well, this is what we talked it. about last week, right? In yeah. the Venn diagram of politics right now, there is a place where Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump all intersect, right? <laughs> right. And it's about the middle class. It's about uh, trade. Uh, it's about Wall Street. And, of course, that also, um, the Post piece points out, Elizabeth Warren was not shy in 2016 about distancing herself from Hillary Clinton a little bit because Hillary was seen as so in the tank with the Wall Street firms. And I will say the the Democratic primary schedule sets up very nicely for Elizabeth Warren and that you have Iowa where there's this big progressive economic populism contingent and then to New Hampshire where she is the neighboring state. She's the center, of course, for the neighboring state. I will say I saw a poll from Change Research that has her at just 11 percent right now in New Hampshire, has Bernie at 26 and Biden at 24. Wouldn't she want to be better than 11 percent in a state that neighbors her state? You know, New Hampshire's a little bit tricky for Elizabeth Warren, potentially. This is a year away. Mm. A year might as but, well but be wait 10 a minute. years. Wait a minute. Can you believe we're a year away <laughs> yeah, from the New yeah, Hampshire yeah. primary? We're already but, talking but, about it. Yeah, and I just want to throw that, yeah. that the caveat out there, okay? But still, uh, New Hampshire could be a little dicey uh, for her. Bernie is right next door. 
very mm-hmm. popular there, as we sure. saw a couple of years ago in the primary where he smoked Hillary Clinton. Uh, there uh, uh, may be a significant number of voters in, in southern New Hampshire who have absorbed negative feelings about Elizabeth Warren from the, from the Massachusetts news media. And uh, it, it isn't necessarily her kind of state. You've seen her aggressively courting black voters already, right? Uh, so maybe she's thinking, hmm, win Iowa, whatever happens in New Hampshire happens, win South Carolina or do very well there. And then the next big event earlier than ever this year is Mega Super Tuesday, which includes California, Texas, Massachusetts, but states where uh, a landscape where you've got to have big money. She's got to hang in there long enough. So we've got Elizabeth Warren. Not using Donald Trump's name, (laughs) but a freshman congresswoman from Massachusetts using it on the House floor. Mr. Speaker, I rise today in opposition to the occupant of the White House. Mr. Trump, you took an oath, just as I did five days ago, to protect and defend the Constitution and the American people. Sir, you dishonor that oath. You devalue the life of the immigrant, the worker, and the survivor. I see right through you, and so do the American people. This has nothing to do with border security. That is Congresswoman Ayanna Presley of Boston, just sworn in a few days ago on the floor of the House on Tuesday, calling out directly President Trump. And as it turns out, she has now been admonished for this speech that she gave on the floor. John, explain what happened. Well, happened? according to the news story we saw, she was, quote, gently admonished by whoever was in the chair at that moment. Why? Because... The way she put that was a violation of House protocol. Now, I don't have chapter and verse in front of me, but I'm getting a, it. Yeah, oh, okay, good. <laughs> well, you're looking for that. Paula's got Here, receipts. Uh, it, under Section 370 of the House rules, it has been held that a member cannot, here's a short list, call the president a liar, a hypocrite, describe a presidential action as cowardly, charge that the president has been intellectually dishonest, refer to the president as giving aid and comfort to the enemy, or refer to alleged sexual misconduct on the president's part. Now, Mm. here's what you, here are some things you can say. (laughs) You can refer to the government as something hated and oppressive, refer to the president as using legislative or judicial pork, refer to a presidential message as a disgrace, as opposed to the president, him or herself, and refer to unnamed officials as our half-baked nitwits handling foreign <laughs> affairs. That's a phrase okay. which comes up often. So I think you well, see the pattern there. Don't you it's got to be a little indirect. Well, it's about the administration or the message coming out of the White House. This is one of these quaint old rules, but I like them. Because I'm sort of an old-fashioned person. The president of the United States is the only elected official in the land voted upon by every eligible adult voter, right? So the president represents something unique and special. I wonder if this was a case where she truly didn't know the rule and she just wrote this speech and that she would have otherwise given at any campaign stop. Yeah. Or if she knew the rule and knew that it was going to draw some reaction it was going because it seems to me that a lot of these uh, a lot of these incoming democratic congresswomen and congressmen are kind of almost on purpose pushing against some of these boundaries and saying well this is right in other words th- from their point of view the president has done 
such heinous things, how are we to just be silent and pretend as though, oh, well, uh, the White House is acting irresponsible instead of, no, you That's did XYZ. That's a great point, Liam, because keep in mind, Ayanna Presley is a veteran political activist. She worked for John Kerry for many years. She was a longtime uh, Boston city councilor, uh, elected at large citywide, topping the ticket, I believe, the last yes. couple of times she ran. Yes. So she's no naive no. who just wandered into politics off the street. Right. Someone from her staff would have said, you can't give this speech on the House. The well, floor. maybe it is on, on purpose then. Maybe, maybe it's it all about this a newer generation sending a message of bleep your rules. Mm-hmm. You know, we're look where it got us. And and look at what's been being directed at us on a daily basis from the White House. We we're gonna lose something tactically. We're gonna be back on our heels if we don't respond in right. kind. I'm not saying there's no argument to be made there. I, I my instinct is that it's a nasty, slippery slope, yes. and that sooner or later you get to the point where everyone's calling everyone else an MFer, yes. and the public is completely Listen, tuning it out. The caning of Senator Sumner on the floor was, you know, at the <laughs> height of the Civil War. That is where it leads, right? If you let go of decorum, <laughs> the suddenly of Sumner. you are smashing someone well, over the head over, physically. Well, that was over buff. Buff. That's 60 right. years you ago. Know. But what Even I'm saying I was is, not present that's for that the thing. One. You have to, you cannot let language lead yeah. to violence. We all laugh on the news at these scenes we see in various other countries where members of parliament are actually having fistfights. Uh, this is not productive behavior. There's a reason in the House of Commons, by the way. Here comes a fun fact from an old intern. Yes. In is, does this also involve Sumner? Here we go. Or There's is this going to be a sewer story? This involves swords. Oh, get swords. Ready, get ready to have your... You know, socks knocked off. But in the House of Commons, members of Parliament stand the expression to toe the party line. There is literally a physical line on the floor in the House of Commons that you must stand behind during debate. And the space between those lines is exactly the length of two swords lengths. So no one can stab someone else to death during the debate. There are reasons human beings need these rules imposed upon them when heated arguments are underway. So, you know, people are going to get sanctioned. She'll think, so what? And go on. I'll make a prediction. Yeah. We're going to see more of this, not less. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We might. Our newscasters, our editors all work as an efficient, well-coordinated fact-finding team. Over the course of the next five years, the T plans to spend over $8 billion on infrastructure, much of which will be invested in its core system. This is more than twice what has ever been spent by the T in any five-year period of time. Now, this will be no small task. One of the reasons previous administrations didn't invest in the core system is the complexity of upgrading and modernizing a system that operates 20 hours a day, seven days a week. So, John, that was Charlie Baker in his inaugural address basically telling people to brace themselves for the fix coming to the T it's going to be even more painful than what people are already used and to. And Steve Poftak, the new general manager of the T, followed that up a few days later with similar comments warning that they're entering a phase of the, the sort of work, the, the repair work on the T, where, you know, you're going to have lo- significant sections of tracks shut down for long periods of time. If, sh- if the word shuttle bus strikes dread into oh, yes. your heart, yeah. you better get used to it because you're going to be hearing a lot more. And I was just wondering... You know, how much more can tea writers take? And it's not a rhetorical question because, you know, we've seen declines in tea writership 
in recent years, where people just say, you know what, uh, the the discount, the, the discounted cost of it, not worth it. I'm late for work. I'm miserable. I'm standing out in the freezing cold. You know, bleep it. I'm going to take an Uber or I'm going to drive. Yeah. Or, Which then creates this vicious cycle because right. there are more cars on the road. Right. Traffic We've is had terrible. this study that these Uber and Lyft apps, which so many people thought intuitively this will reduce traffic. It turns out it has increased traffic because more and more people who would have been on public transportation are taking these cars that they don't own and using these ride-sharing apps. And there are more and more people. I mean, anyone who commutes in a car into the city, and I do every day, can tell you it has gotten worse and worse and worse. And it's that, it's yet that cycle. And maybe that the traffic will ultimately drive people back onto the MBTA. But from my point of view, I'm not getting on that thing. If I know that, you know, some sizable percentage of the time it's going to break down or not get me to where I need to go or be on some major delay. Any city, any metropolis worth its salt has got to have a reliable transportation system Mm -hmm. for as much as we make fun of New York and how hard it is on a day-to-day basis to live in Manhattan. People will tell you, they can get on that Their subway. Their subway system is it great. Will get them I lived there. there for two years. And look at wonderful. how LA suffers, uh, conversely, by not having that. And you know, I want to make it clear. I hope I speak for everybody here. We're not criticizing the Baker administration on this. They have no choice. Oh no, no, it's they the have to fix yeah. it. Oh, right. it's got to be right. done. No right, one right, wants right, the status right. quo to no. be the way it is forever. Yeah. But how much will people be willing to tolerate before habits are permanently changed? As opposed, if once all the work is done and the system's a dream to ride, the word will get out quickly and and people will return. But one thing I am wondering, and maybe they're listening up there on Beacon Hill, is you've made a big deal, and rightly so, and gotten a lot of plaudits for your accelerated schedules of repair work. Remember the bridges? Yes. That, yes. Over I-93 that they did in, what was it, four weeks? Mm-hmm. And then we've had the work on the Calm Ave yeah. overpass over That's the pike. Well. A, you've proven that you can do an accelerated repair schedule. Why can't that be applied to the T if it isn't already? And B, on the ComAv situations the last couple of summers, they came out and said, oh, it's going to be four to five weeks of sheer torture. Brace yourself. And then, lo and behold, two and a half weeks. They're getting very Very good at the expectations game. Wait a minute. (laughs) Managing expectations. It was never going to be four to five weeks. They prepared the public. We talked about it for months in advance. You're prepared for the worst. And then then when you come in under expectations, it's... This is the story of my life. I keep expectations very low. (laughs) I say to my wife... Hun, I'm not very bright. I'm not very good at being a husband. And then I sort of pleasantly surprise When you're adequate, it's adequate then seems really, really good. Wow. See, this is my trick to everything. That's actually quite brilliant. This is brilliant. See, that is brilliant. But I kept the expectations low to you, John. And then when I just came up with this idea, you thought, wow. Well, all I can say is knowing how regular T riders suffer on the interminable waits and so forth just redoubles our commitment to make Studio BZ <laughs> That's right. your respite. You I can know. put on the, in the earbuds. While you're them, commuting. And the time will, if not fly by, it will. It's a good commute time podcast. It's usually 40, 45 time, to 50 minutes. You know? Doing yeah. chores around the house. It has transformed my life. And we'll try to match your outrage with our own. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Of course, give us a rating and review. Subscribe and share. Tell all your friends. It's at Studio BZ Pod on Twitter. I'm at Paula Evan WBZ. I am at Liam WBZ. And at Keller at Large. Any tweets about the Studio BZ Pod that I get will automatically be retweeted to an audience of dozens. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> have we a have, good week. We have our first uh, reviews. Oh, yeah, nice. Let's, let's, oh, wow. let's hear a few. I'm sorry, ratings. Oh, let's oh. hear a few. Can we hear the ratings? And? We have uh, five five-star ratings. Hey, five you know five what? star ratings. One, two, three, <laughs> four. <laughs> four. And my Sorry, husband. Uncle Richard. Thank you so much, <laughs> cousin Steve. I will, I will honestly say I have not given us a rating. I'm, I'm, this is the honor system. We get a but five right. out of five, that's hello, pretty good. that's perfection. Well, and this will just heighten anticipation for what comes next week yes. when right. we'll be seeing you. And hey, go Pats. Oh, Jonathan doesn't like sports, but go Pats. Yeah, go Pats. That's uh, hockey, right? Yes, it's going to be cold. That much you know. It is actually European football. (laughs) It's American style football. football. That part I know. (laughs) Thank Thank you. you. That was good. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Joe.